Hey there, it's Kathy. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to History of the 90s early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. A listener's note. The following episode contains coarse language, adult themes, and content of a violent and disturbing nature, and may not be suitable for everyone. Listener discretion is advised. On a hot June night in 1990, more than 300 people jammed into a dark, smoke-filled club in Hollywood, Florida. They were there to see a controversial rap group known for their sexually explicit lyrics and booty-shaking bass lines. The walls were sweating as the excited crowd danced, bounced, and chanted along to the lyrics. Several women from the audience were brought up on stage to bump and grind with the rappers. Among those watching from the crowd were plainclothes police officers, sent by the Broward County Sheriff's Office to keep tabs on the show. Within a few hours, the leader of the group would be pushed spread eagle onto the hood of a cop car as he was placed under arrest. His crime? Performing a song deemed obscene by a local judge. I'm Kathy Kanzora, and this is History of the 90s, a podcast about a decade that changed the world. In this episode, I take you back to one of the first battles to censor rap music. This is the story of two live crew and their fight to be as nasty as they want to be. Long before two live crew were on stage at Club Futura in Hollywood, Florida, their leader, Luther Campbell, was a kid with an entrepreneurial spirit. Born in 1960, Campbell was raised in Liberty City, a predominantly black Miami neighborhood. As a teenager, he joined a DJ group and started selling weed to buy speakers and other equipment. When Campbell's parents caught him dealing drugs, they sent him to live with an older brother in Washington, D.C. And it ended up being a transformative experience. Campbell says that's where he saw black entrepreneurs for the first time and he was inspired to go back to Miami and start making money legally. In the mid-80s, Campbell and his crew, the ghetto-style DJs, bought an old warehouse at the corner of 54th Street and 12th Avenue in Liberty City. And they turned it into one of the coolest places to be. The Pac Jam Teen Disco was an all-ages, alcohol-free weekly party. There was roller skating and there was dancing, but most importantly, there was loud, bass-heavy hip-hop music thanks to the Sirwin Vega speakers that lined the walls. It was so loud and crowded that people said the walls would sweat. At the time, hip-hop was big in New York and Los Angeles, but it wasn't getting any airtime yet on Miami radio stations. So the Pac Jam Teen Disco became the early epicenter for the Southern rap scene. That's where a new sound called Miami Bass was introduced, also referred to as Booty Bass. It's propelled by the 808 drum machine, a fast-paced beat and enough bass to make your rump shake. At the same time the ghetto-style DJs were hosting the Pac Jam Teen Disco, Luther Campbell was also booking East Coast rappers like Run DMC and Biz Markie, bringing them down to Miami. Plus, Campbell started a company out of a shed in his mom's backyard, calling it Luke Skywalker Records, named after one of his childhood heroes. It was the first hip-hop label in the South, and at the age of 25, Luther Campbell was on his way to becoming a force in the music industry. 
To get the record label off the ground, Campbell needed a hit single, and he needed some new talent. Surprisingly, the talent he found weren't from Miami. In fact, they weren't even from Florida. One day, Campbell came across an obscure recording from a California act called the Two Live Crew. A line in a song called Two Lives stood out for him. Not only did Campbell take the Luke Skywalker reference as a sign, he also liked what he heard. So he invited the guys from the Two Live crew to Miami. But turns out they weren't actually full-time rappers. They were in the Air Force, stationed in Riverside, California, when they recorded their first couple of singles. Initially, the group was made up of Yuri Amazing V Vlot, Chris Fresh Kid Ice Wong Wan, and David Hobbs, DJ Mr. Mix. When Campbell invited the two live crew to Miami, Yuri Vlot wasn't interested. So another rapper joined in his place, Mark D. Ross, also known as Brother Marquise. And Campbell also joined the group, becoming DJ and hype man as well as producer. Under his guidance, they recorded a single that would become emblematic of Miami bass. Throw the D was based on a dance move that had started during the early days of Campbell's Pac Jam teen discos. It involves lots of hip shaking and thrusting, and was the first of many sexually explicit songs by the two live crew. It was included on their debut album, The Two Live Crew Is What We Are, released in July 1986. The record went gold, selling 500,000 copies, and is also remembered for the songs We Want Some Pussy, as well as Beatbox, which was a remix of the song Two Live. As producer, Luther Campbell took a new approach to hip hop. Instead of just sampling music, the Two Live Crew also sampled raunchy old comedy records, using clips from sexually explicit comedians like Red Fox. Their second album, Move Something, was released in August 1988, and also made a splash, reaching number 68 on the Billboard Hot 100 album chart, and once again achieved gold status by selling 500,000 copies. The success of the two live crew coincided with the growing overall popularity of hip-hop and rap. The once underground music scene was bleeding into mainstream culture, but not everyone liked it. Before a 1988 concert in Columbus, Georgia, rapper Ice-T was warned by police officers that he'd be arrested if he rapped certain profane words on stage. Ice-T did go on stage, but performed only one song and then canceled the rest of his show. Meantime, in the summer of 1989, members of NWA were chased out of Detroit's Joe Louis Arena by the police after the rap group, egged on by a chanting crowd, began performing their song, F the Police. And in Cincinnati, a judge fined members of NWA $100 each for what was called offensively coarse utterances between songs during a Riverfront Coliseum show. By the beginning of the 90s, it seemed like hip-hop was under attack and Luther Campbell believed it was racially motivated, a concern that drove the two live crew to release its most controversial album yet. Before you even hear a single song, the cover of the album, As Nasty As They Wanna Be, was purposely provocative. It features four women at the beach wearing thong bikinis with their backs to the camera while the guys from Two Live Crew are lying in the sand peering through the women's legs and straight into the camera. 
Released in February 1989, As Nasty As They Wanna Be included the songs The F Shop, Dirty Nursery Rhymes, and Come On Babe. But the song that got the most attention was one that sampled a line from the popular 1987 war movie Full Metal Jacket. Thanks to the popularity of Me So Horny, Two Live Crew's third album became their best yet, selling two million copies and staying on the Billboard music charts for multiple weeks. But it wasn't without controversy. When the Two Live Crew released As Nasty As They Wanna Be, it coincided with the beginning of a new era of censorship in the music industry. Record companies had agreed to voluntarily put stickers on albums warning of violent or explicit lyrics after pressure from Tipper Gore's Parent Music Resource Center. So when As Nasty As They Wanna Be hit shelves, it was slapped with a warning sticker. The Two Live Crew also released a clean version of the album called As Clean As They Wanna Be, which was unstickered. But the explicit version outsold the clean version by at least nine to one. And that made some wonder if the warning stickers were actually helping to boost the sale of controversial records. And one person in particular wanted more done to protect the public from offensive music. When Bob DeMoss first heard about Two Live Crew, he was a youth culture specialist for the ultra-conservative Christian group Focus on the Family. In late 1989, he transcribed by hand every word of every song on As Nasty As They Wanna Be. And he even took the time to catalog the sexually explicit language contained on the album. For example, he found there were 226 uses of the F word, 87 descriptions of oral sex, and 117 references to male and female genitals. After collecting all this information, DeMoss mailed unsolicited copies of the lyrics to people around the U.S. who he described as decency and pro-family activists. A copy found its way to 38-year-old Florida lawyer Jack Thompson, who considered himself a bit of an obscenity superhero, fighting to protect the public's ears from the likes of the Two Live crew. Thompson told the Los Angeles Times in 1990 that he believed Luther Campbell was peddling obscenity to children, and that's why he had to, quote, play Batman to assist and cajole the government into doing its job. It was a role Thompson took seriously. He wore a Batman watch, drank from a Batman mug, and had a large poster of the Cape Crusader taped to his refrigerator at his home in Coral Gables, Florida. After reading the two live crew lyrics at a New Year's Day dinner on January 1st, 1990, Thompson mailed copies to various government officials including then-Florida Governor Bob Martinez and Janet Reno, who was a state attorney at the time in Dade County, which includes Miami. Thompson called for an investigation into whether As Nasty As They Wanna Be violated any obscenity statutes. A month later, unsatisfied with the lack of action being taken, Thompson began sending the lyrics to every sheriff's office in Florida telling the local media that he would not give up until he put Two Live Crew and Luther Campbell out of business. Meantime, Campbell was also being challenged in court on another matter. Star Wars creator George Lucas filed a $200 million lawsuit over Campbell's use of the name Luke Skywalker, which incidentally he spelled with an extra Y. 
A lawyer for Lucas said the filmmaker was greatly upset that the Skywalker trademark was being improperly used. And he was demanding that Campbell stop capitalizing on the Star Wars character's heroic image. It was a tumultuous time for Campbell, who had become the de facto leader and spokesperson for the two live crew. But things were about to get much worse. In March 1990, the explicit lyrics sent out by Jack Thompson found their way into the hands of Nick Navarro, the sheriff for Broward County, which is just north of Miami and oversees Fort Lauderdale and the Everglades. If you happen to be a fan of reality TV, you might already know who he is. The Cuban-born Navarro and his deputies from Broward County starred in the very first season of Cops. Bad boys, bad boys. What you gonna do? What you gonna do when they come for you? Bad boys, bad boys. What you gonna do? What you gonna do? The show turned the tough-talking Navarro into a TV star, and it prepped him for the high-profile role he would play in trying to take down two live crew. After reading the explicit lyrics from As Nasty As They Wanna Be, Sheriff Navarro brought the matter before a circuit court judge, who ruled the album was probably obscene. Navarro then threatened to arrest retailers who sold the record. As a result, some stores in Broward County began pulling records, tapes, and CDs by the two live crew off their racks. This infuriated and terrified Luther Campbell, so he decided to take a gamble with a high-stakes legal maneuver. On March 16, 1990, the two live crew filed a lawsuit against Broward County Sheriff Nick Navarro asking a federal court judge to rule that as nasty as they want to be is not obscene. The lawsuit shifted the matter from a local Florida story to the front pages of newspapers across the U.S. and Canada. The issue even made it onto daytime television. On March 21, 1990, the two live crew, along with two scantily clad dancers, were invited to perform on the Donahue talk show in front of a confused-looking studio audience. Hosted by Phil Donahue, the episode brought several people on to discuss censorship in music. Campbell defended two live crew's explicit lyrics, saying they were intended to be funny, not offensive. Meanwhile, the crackdown against the rappers spread to at least a dozen other U.S. states, including Texas, North Carolina, and Georgia, where a judge ruled their record violated state obscenity laws because it contained descriptions of intercourse and sodomy. But the case that mattered the most began in Fort Lauderdale Federal Court in May 1990. During a two-day hearing, a normally subdued courtroom was turned into an X-rated extravaganza, as lawyers for Two Live Crew showed a judge in the standing room only crowd a stream of sexually explicit material. They introduced into evidence X-rated magazines bought at local bookstores, played part of a pornographic video called Teasers, as well as a recording of potty mouth comedian Andrew Dice Clay. The point the lawyers were trying to make was simple. There is a lot of stuff available to the public that is far worse than as nasty as they want to be. So if the judge banned Two Live Crew's album, he would have to ban a bunch of other stuff too. Otherwise, it would prove that rap was being unfairly singled out. 
The lawyer for Sheriff Navarro responded by playing multiple songs from As Nasty As They Wanna Be. Judge Jose Gonzalez held his chin in his hand, his fingers covering his mouth as he listened closely to the lyrics while jotting down a few notes. When called to the stand, Luther Campbell agreed the lyrics are raw, but he maintained it was nothing worse than what every guy talks about in the locker room. In the end, the judge disagreed. Judge Gonzalez ruled as nasty as they want to be was obscene and said police could start arresting any record store owner who dared sell it in South Florida. Gonzalez concluded the record offends community standards and fails a U.S. Supreme Court litmus test for obscenity called the Miller Test. He said it contained little serious artistic, political, or scientific value. In his 62-page decision, which was read to a packed courtroom, Judge Gonzalez called the album, quote, an appeal to dirty thoughts and the loins, not to the intellect and the mind. The decision was groundbreaking because it was the first time a federal court had deemed a music recording obscene, and it could have wide-reaching implications far beyond South Florida. Constitutional scholars warned the ruling gave prosecutors a powerful new tool to ban performers they deemed offensive. Outside the courthouse, Sheriff Navarro vowed to enforce the judge's ruling, saying, quote, if you sell it, you're going to jail. And in just a couple of days, Navarro would prove he wasn't bluffing. On June 8, 1990, a customer walked into EC Records in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and asked the man behind the counter if he had any copies of As Nasty As They Wanna Be. The store's owner, 31-year-old Charles D. Freeman, said, sure, a shipment just came in. The man asked for a tape version and a record. That'll be $8.49 each, said Freeman. The man then took his purchase and headed toward the door. But before leaving, he turned around and said, you're under arrest. Five deputies from the Broward County Sheriff's Office descended on the store to enforce the two-day-old ruling by Judge Gonzalez. Before Freeman was led away in handcuffs, Sheriff Navarro made an appearance in front of several reporters who had been tipped off about the arrest. Freeman, who was released on a $100 bond after being charged with a first-degree misdemeanor, vowed to keep selling the Two Live Crew record until the Supreme Court says he couldn't. He said, quote, I'm not being brave. It's just the same thing you would do if you went into a store and they told you you can't buy underwear and socks. Meanwhile, the crackdown against Two Live Crew continued to spread. Their record was ordered off shelves by police in San Antonio and Cincinnati, Ohio. But Luther Campbell was undeterred. He pledged to keep performing songs from the album before adult audiences. You don't tell us what we can do and say around adults. The adult has the right to listen to what they want to listen to. If they don't want to hear the two live crew, then they don't buy no ticket. They won't be at that concert. On Saturday, June 9th, 1990, a long line of teenagers stood outside Club Futura in Hollywood, Florida. They were there for a 10 p.m. performance by two live crew. And so were police officers, making sure the rappers didn't perform any of the material deemed obscene by Judge Gonzalez three days earlier. For their part, Two Live Crew kept it clean, performing a G-rated version of As Nasty As They Wanna Be. But a second show later that night was a totally different story. The 1am performance was for adults only, and nothing was off limits. 
Luther Campbell set the tone when he led the crowd of 300 people in a chant targeting the local sheriff. Then, two live crew launched into X-rated versions of songs from As Nasty As They Wanna Be. And they were joined on stage by two dancers in neon green bikinis, as well as several other women invited up from the crowd. Plainclothes officers watching the show called Sheriff Navarro to report what they had seen and heard. He instructed them not to cause a scene. He said let the rappers leave and then arrest them after they were a distance from the club. Around 3 a.m., Luther Campbell and Fresh Kid Ice hopped into a maroon Jaguar and drove away from the Hollywood Avenue Club. A few blocks away, they were surrounded by about a dozen police cruisers. Campbell and Fresh Kid Ice stopped the car and got out with their hands up. Officers spread them against the hood of a police car, patted them down, cuffed them, and put them in the back of a cruiser. A witness on the scene said he heard Campbell say from the back seat, that's life in America. The other two members of the two live crew, Brother Marquise and DJ Mr. Mix, left the club in a separate car and were arrested later. They were all charged with a first-degree misdemeanor, violating a little-used Florida statute that prohibits people from knowingly participating in an obscene show. Lawyer Bruce Rogo said his clients would fight the charges and called them martyrs of the First Amendment. Around this time, the controversy spread to Canada as well. Jack Thompson, the US lawyer leading the crusade against Two Live Crew, sent copies of their lyrics to the Ontario Provincial Police, along with media clippings and court documents. As a result, the OPP's anti-pornography and hate literature squad opened an investigation into as nasty as they wanna be. And they paid a visit to the president of the record store chain, HMV. Paul Alofs told the Toronto Star newspaper that the OPP spent nearly two hours in his office making it clear they would lay obscenity charges unless HMV pulled the record from its shelves. And that's exactly what they did. As nasty as they want to be was removed from all 45 HMV stores across Canada. Meanwhile, in Florida, as Two Live Crew waited for their legal issues to work through the justice system, they set to work on some new music. And this time, they had the support of one of the big record labels. Doug Morris, the head of Atlantic Records, was incensed when he saw TV coverage of two live crews arrest after their show at Club Futura. How could someone be arrested for making and selling music? What about the First Amendment? Morris responded to the controversy by signing Luther Campbell to Atlantic Records and agreed to distribute As Nasty As They Wanna Be, as well as a new single, Time For Release, on July 4th, 1990. So listen up, y'all, to what we say. We won't be banned in the USA. Banned in the USA is, of course, a parody of the Bruce Springsteen anthem, Born in the USA. And it was recorded with permission from the boss himself. The song was included on a new album by the same name, and it was initially credited as a Luther Campbell, aka Uncle Luke, solo project featuring Two Live Crew. The original cover shows Luther Campbell standing in front of an American flag and displays the text of the First Amendment. Inside, there was a fold-out poster of Campbell giving the finger. 
A few months later, in October 1990, the obscenity trial began for record shop owner Charles Freeman, who was represented by Two Live Crew's lawyer. Bruce Rogo argued that living with the First Amendment isn't always easy. He said one person's vulgarity is another person's lyric. But the prosecution argued that the Constitution doesn't protect obscenity. In the end, the all-white, mostly female jury found Freeman guilty, making him the only person in the U.S. ever convicted of selling an obscene record. The verdict angered the 32-year-old father of four, which he said did not reflect his community as a black man in Broward County. It's unfair. The jury was all white. There were no blacks on the jury pool at all, only one. And they don't know where EC Records is. They don't know nothing about the damn ghetto. At his sentencing hearing, Freeman lost his cool again, jumping out of his chair and shouting at the judge, Your Honor, I would like to say that the prosecutor, you and the whole effing court, is out of order. When it came time to deliver his sentence, the judge lectured Freeman about his behavior and slapped him with a $1,000 fine. Things did not look good for Two Live Crew when their trial began a couple of weeks after Freeman's. And it didn't help that they were chronically late for court proceedings. On day five of jury selection, Luther Campbell and Fresh Kid Ice were about 30 minutes late, while DJ Mr. Mix was an hour late. That was the last straw for the judge, who cited all three for contempt of court. But when things finally got underway, the case against the defendants almost fell apart because the key piece of evidence against them was garbage. You see, police officers had taped the concert in question with a recorder hidden inside a briefcase. As a result, when the tape was played for jurors, all they could hear was garbled noise. So the prosecution put a detective on the stand who painstakingly went through the tape over a five-hour period, stopping and starting it as he translated what was being wrapped on stage on the night in question. It was a surreal experience that led to lots of laughter in the courtroom by members of Two Live Crew and even jury members. In the end, the jury heard what they needed to make a decision. Two Live Crew were not guilty of breaking Florida's state obscenity law. One juror summed it up to the media afterwards, saying Two Live Crew's music was like comedy because after all, it was just words. It was a major victory for the Florida rappers. And the winning streak continued when they appealed the original federal court decision by Judge Jose Gonzalez, who deemed as nasty as they want to be obscene. In May 1992, nearly two years after the saga began, a three-judge panel of the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals sided with two live crew and overturned the obscenity ruling. The appeals court said Judge Gonzalez wrongly relied on his own expertise to arrive at his decision and said he could not have determined the music had no serious artistic value simply by listening to it. It wasn't just a win for Two Live Crew. It was also an important victory for free speech in music, helping to pave the way for the next generation of rappers like Ludacris, Cardi B, and Megan Thee Stallion, so they can say what they want on their records. And if that wasn't a big enough legacy for Two Live Crew and Luther Campbell, there's more. In 1994, they were sued for copyright infringement related to their use of a piece of the song, Oh Pretty Woman by Roy Orbison. 
The case went all the way to the Supreme Court, which determined that the use was in fact a parody and qualified as fair use. With that ruling, Two Live Crew had set yet another precedent that would have far-reaching implications for music. But behind the scenes, Two Live Crew was falling apart. Luther Campbell eventually left the group and began producing music on his own. By 1995, Campbell was broke, and his record company, which had been renamed Luke Records after losing that lawsuit with Lucasfilms, was forced into bankruptcy. The two live crew back catalog, including As Nasty As They Wanna Be, was purchased by Little Joe Records. In 2020, two live crew began a legal battle, which continues today to get the music back. Luther Campbell, who'd had that entrepreneurial spirit since he was a kid, did not give up on the music industry. In fact, he helped discover several big acts, including DJ Khaled, Pitbull, Trick Daddy, and Trina. Today, at the age of 62, the man still known to many as Uncle Luke focuses his time on his family and coaching high school football in Liberty City, the same neighborhood where he made Miami bass popular at the Pac Jam Teen Disco nearly 40 years ago. Thanks for listening to this look back at how Luther Campbell and Two Live Crew turned the music industry upside down in the 1990s. This episode was suggested by listener Troy Eckelhoff. Thanks, Troy, for the email. If you have a suggestion, you can send me an email too. The address for the show is 90s at curiouscast.ca. Or you can reach me through social media. I'm on Instagram at that 90s podcast and on Facebook at 1990s history. This episode was hosted and written by me, Kathy Kinzora. Our producer is Dilo Velasquez, and sound design and final production is by Rob Johnston. See you next time for more History of the 90s.